The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started, because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Here we go. It's another week, and it's time for No Excuses with me, John Taffer, and I've got to tell you, we've got a great show this week. I have one of my favorite people on, Chef Robert Irvine. Robert and I have shared a lot of experiences, both being in the hospitality business as well as being in the television business and attention television business. So we're going to have a really frank discussion. Robert's going to be calling me in a few minutes. I've got a lot of audience calls to talk to today, which is always a lot of fun for me. And I do have to talk for a minute about Bar Rescue last night. Imagine this. You take your life savings takes you years to save a few hundred thousand dollars. You work your ass off to get it. You find a location on the end of a strip center on a well-trafficked street. You try to design a bar, a kitchen, an environment. You work, you build it, you sweat, you build the walls, you paint it all yourself. It takes you a year of paying rent without any business. You work your butt off to build this thing, and then you name it Fat Balls. When you think about the decision-making process that this poor guy went through to build this bar and name it Fat Balls. And it's interesting because I posted online, it was one of the worst names ever. And a lot of you reminded me about O-Face. And if you remember, O-Face was the one bar rescue, the first bar rescue ever that I walked out on and pretty much told them to go screw themselves and didn't remodel their bar at all. And don't regret it, by the way, because he wound up being convicted. Uh, of some harassment issue. I don't recall exactly what it was about a year or so later, so I made the right call. But in this case, I did rescue the bar because I really felt for the wife, the family, and I really felt that there was something that I could do to try to help Tony. But was amazing to me, and this was a bar rescue first. I walked into that bar, and there was not one customer in it when I walked in for recon the first night. Not one. So I sat down, and I Pretend that I was 10 customers. I ordered 10 drinks, 10 items of food, and you saw what happened. So the end of the story is you think about it, a mental giant wouldn't name his bar Fat Balls. Well, you know, when people make thousands of bad decisions to get me there in the first place, many times they make the same bad decisions when I leave. Well, guess what? He renamed the bar Fat Balls when I left. He renamed it Fat Balls. Now, those of you who think these things upset me, I want you to know they don't. I actually sort of laugh at it, and here's the way I think about it. Imagine that you had a ship that was sinking, and I came to help you. So I filled the holes. It now floats. I painted it. I made it level and true. I made sure it sailed straight. I put in new engines. I made the thing beautiful, and I give you a map. And if you choose to drive that boat into a reef, <laughs> there's nothing that I can do about it. And in this case, Tony drove that sucker into a reef. And if Fat Balls wasn't successful in the first place, well, <laughs> uh, Fatter Balls is not going to be successful this time. So, Tony, I wish you lots of luck, but a great decision maker, I just don't think you are. Who watched Roseanne's apology on Fox this week? 
I did actually. I was mesmerized by it. I watched a whole darn hour. I didn't watch the second half, but I watched a whole darn hour. Listen for a second to what you had to say. I'm so sorry that you thought I was racist and that you thought that my um, tweet was racist because it wasn't. It was political. It's interesting how, how one can blame anything on politics today. Oh, it's, it's, it isn't that I hate you. It's that I hate your politics. Uh, or you know, Everything can be blamed on politics today. But, you know, if you know anything about my book, Don't BS Yourself, blaming it on politics is nothing more than an excuse. Blaming on anything is an excuse. We shouldn't blame the things that we say, the offensive things that we say to people, and the divisive things we say to each other on politics. You see, the premise of politics, by its very nature, is diplomacy. The whole premise of politics is communication and diplomacy so that we work together for a common goal. That is the whole premise of what politics is. So if we blame divisiveness on politics, that's like me blaming the rain for sunburn. That makes absolutely no sense. You know, I I felt terrible for Roseanne watching this. I did. And she lost everything. She immediately signed papers so her employees didn't lose their jobs. The show is going forward without her. She signed a release for that. I saw somebody who was truly sad, certainly remorseful, and uh, a little screwed up, to be honest with you. If you haven't watched the interview, you should. She speaks about her multiple personality disorders. She speaks a lot about, about a lot of very interesting things, and it goes to show those most successful people that we see every day in our lives, household names. It's not easy to be a celebrity. Matter of fact, it's really, really hard. And years ago, when I would read that such a celebrity went such and such, went into the hospital for exhaustion, I would laugh and say, exhaustion, they're a star. How hard could they work? Well, you know what? Now that I'm in this business between the media tours, the podcasts, the television shows, the interviews, working in my office, there's not enough hours in the day. And Roseanne made a terrible mistake that's going to cost her a large part of her career. And I feel bad for her personally. I don't think she should have lost all that she did. So who watches Jeopardy? I've done Jeopardy. Actually, I did two. I did a bunch of video Jeopardy answers years ago. And I did some sports Jeopardy answers years ago. And about two or three years ago, I met with Alex Trebek and his son. And they came to meet with me about his son's new restaurant. And we talked about it for a while. And I gave Alex a bunch of books and, and a bunch of materials from from my uh, uh, consulting company. And tried to help him. And I was watching uh, uh, in an interview with Alex just last night, he was talking about how successful his son's restaurant is. I got to tell you, Alex is an amazing guy. And what I found interesting about his interview was the fact that he has to read the cards in advance. He does not know how to pronounce all the words that he says on that show. So, so uh, uh, 30 years doing Jeopardy, and now he's looking at retiring uh, um, next year or so. And it'd be a shame to lose him. He's, he's an icon for sure. So years ago in airports, there used to be these places where you could go take a nap. So there were little rooms and they had a reclining like desk kind of chair and a desk and internet hookups. So you could rent this room for whatever it was, $20 an hour, and you could sit down at the desk and you could do your computer work. You could recline the chair. You could sleep. You could do whatever you want. And they were popping up in airports all over the country and then they disappeared. Well, they're back. New York City nap stores are opening all over the city, and it's amazing. There's two companies. <laughs> there's, there's nap stores are popping up for a few dollars. 
You can nap on a busy day, 30 minutes for $10, and Casper's nap shot gives you 45 minutes for $25. So for 25 bucks, you can lay down for 45 minutes and take a nap. When I read this article, I thought about Google. A couple of years ago, I went to the Google campus, and if you've never heard about it or you haven't Googled it or looked at it online, the Google campus in the hallways in the buildings have these plastic eggs that you lay in and swing around and close. And they're napping pods. And in the Google headquarters, if I remember correctly, there were about 52 restaurants in the 57 or so buildings that they had. All the restaurants are free. So people don't go home during rush hour. They stay. And while you're walking down the halls of Google, people are walking by with lobster tails and mussels and steak and some of the finest foods and dining you've ever seen. Or they're laying in their napping pods. It's interesting how... how um, a company so huge can violate so many of the rules uh, uh, that every other company lives by every day. And we're taking a quick break for our sponsor. Man, I'm a restaurant guy. I love a great steak. But you know, it's funny. You can't get restaurant quality steaks in a supermarket. There's a difference between prime and real prime. Butcher Box delivers healthy, 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage breed pork directly to your door on a monthly basis, and all their products are humanely raised and never, ever given antibiotics or hormones. Fact of the matter is, 100% grass-fed and finished beef is amazing how it melts in your mouth. Nothing could be more convenient. And here's the good news. Get $20 off plus free bacon in your first box by going to ButcherBox.com and using the discount code TAFFER at checkout. And you're going to love it. I love hearing about brand extensions. You know, in our business, everything is about what else can I add to the brand that I have? Because brands build equity. And when a brand has equity, how do I spend that equity in other things? Well, Dunkin' Donuts is releasing a coffee-inspired beer. That's right. So it's going to be a, a coffee-inspired beer. They're also working on, you ready for this one? Broccoli coffee. To me, when broccoli is cooking, it sort of smells like feet. <laughs> broccoli is not the most fine, elegant-smelling vegetable of all time. I can't imagine broccoli and coffee. But let's assume they know what they're doing. But Dunkin' Donuts, a coffee-inspired beer, I guess that sort of changes their logo a little bit. That uh, New York runs on Duncan. I guess that's going to give it a new meaning. Also, Uber. I love this one. Uber drivers are now going to have snacks and treats in their store in a special snack box. And they don't have to pay for it. They get to put it in their car, and you can buy it when you're driving. And if they support the snack box, and if people buy it, uh, they can make about $100 a month for adding snacks to their Uber car. What do they do on a hot day? It's 120 degrees in the car. Does the chocolate melt, I wonder? How do they maintain any quality in their snacks? I want to know. Don't you? Let's ask Uber. How are you going to keep the snacks from melting? Okay. Guy Fieri, good guy, great TV host. He opened a restaurant in New York a few months ago, and it real, or maybe years ago, and it really stumbled big time. The reviews were awful. They said the food wasn't great. It was a big embarrassment to Guy. He worked really hard. He pulled it together. He opened up a restaurant in Vegas. That, too, is a brand extension and guys a chef. So it's logical that if he has equity in the food space that he would open another restaurant. So he opens guys here in Vegas, Center Strip, great restaurant, 
also struggled a little in the beginning, but now it's doing really well. And congratulations to Guy, because now he's opening a chicken restaurant in Disney World. And I'm looking at a picture of the product that looks terrific. And it's fast food in a box. And the logo, it says, the boss of sauce, which is a great slogan. You know, I wish Guy a lot of success. But when I was reading about Guy's restaurant, I thought to myself, what about all of these celebrity restaurants that have opened and closed? Think of all the celebrities that have said, ah, my brand is big enough. I'm going to open a restaurant. I'm going to be the next Planet Hollywood. I'm going to be the next. Well, Guy, being a chef, has done pretty well with it. Some other chefs, Gordon Ramsay's closed a bunch of his. Uh, Robert, some of his have closed. And these are great chefs. So, you know, a great restaurant. Even with a great chef brand doesn't doesn't mean it's going to be successful. So I took a look at the last 17 restaurants that have been opened by celebrities. And I'm going to read you what they are in a moment. Out of 17 celebrity restaurants, two are successes and 15 are failures. So I want to read you a couple of these because I think they're, they're really interesting. And there's a business lesson in this because you'll be not surprised at all when you think about the ones that succeeded. Britney Spears joined two of her favorite places at the Dillon Hotel in Midtown Manhattan. The concept blended cuisine from New York and Louisiana failed in 2002. So Britney failed. Next, Steven Spielberg's submarine-themed restaurant, Dive. I went in it. They'd scream, dive, 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 and bubbles would come up the windows. Well, that baby failed. That's number two. Uh, Chrissy Hine opened her meatless restaurant, the Vegemediterranean, Vegetarian in Akron, Ohio, after four years, that baby closed. I wonder statistically how many vegetarians there are in, of all places, Akron, Ohio. I'm guessing you do a better job with that in California. So three for three, that's a fail. Ludicrous. Ludicrous had a high-end uh, eatery called Straits, and that baby closed in 2012. So that's one failure. And now he has a place in Hartsfield-Jackson Airport named Chicken and Beer. And that baby is still open, but it's only been open for about a year, so the jury's out on that one. So we have three straight, actually four straight fails right there. Next, Scott Disick's Manhattan Restaurant. Ryu couldn't weather the storm. It closed after five months. The fashion cave had some of the greatest models it could possibly have. Naomi Campbell, Claudia Schiffer. All of these models were involved. That baby shut down. That's two fails. Here's a great one. Flava Flav, oh man, Flav should not be in a restaurant business. So he opened Flava Flav's fried chicken. It closed after four months. Then he opened a House of Flavor in Las Vegas, and that closed after six months. And now he has Flava Flav's chicken and ribs, and he was just kicked out of his space because he didn't pay his rent. Flav, you account for three failures. Next, Eva Longoria. She failed with her female-focused steakhouse uh, uh, in Las Vegas done with Morton's. So she failed as well. Next, <laughs> the Baldwins didn't fare any better. They failed three times with the same restaurant. They took the same restaurant, didn't change it, changed the name three times, and failed bigger each time. So sometimes a big mouth doesn't equate to big revenues. <laughs> the next one, Hulk Hogan's. Uh, Hulk failed also. When I owned the Alamo Grill in Mall of America, Hulk had a fast food restaurant that was right around the corner in a food court from me. It was great. You know, the food was delicious. It was all yellow and red. What were his colors? He would be there all the time, but his brand didn't translate to a restaurant, so he failed. Next, <laughs> Jessica Beals, kid family restaurant, Owl Fudge. Well, that baby failed also. 
So what I just ran you through was 15 failed restaurants uh, uh, from about 10 different celebrities. Here's the only two successes that I could really find. Diddy, Sean Combs, opened his eatery, Justin's, in New York in 1997. It closed after an impressive 10 years, and his second location is in Atlanta, but that just closed down. But a 10-year run is a successful run in a restaurant business. So is it a surprise to anyone that Diddy was successful? Is it a surprise to anyone that Ciroc is successful? Look at how hard Diddy works. He's there. He's involved. He'll sign. He'll go. When somebody works that hard, they're hugely successful. And the other restaurant success was Jennifer Lopez, (laughs) the second probably hardest working person in show business. So you know what? You can have the greatest brand in the world. You can have the greatest idea in the world. You can have the greatest location in the world. You can have the greatest fried chicken, the greatest prime rib, the greatest whatever it is that you've tasted. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't work your ass off in this business or any business, if you are not there sooner, be the last one to leave, if you're not mentally ahead and physically ahead of the people around you, if you're not interpreting the market, reacting to the market, belly to belly with the customer, if you're not engaged, you're disengaged. And a celebrity brand without celebrity engagement is meaningless. And that's the story. So they've all tried so hard and uh, almost every one of them have failed in the restaurant business and it really doesn't surprise me. So something really interesting happened uh, over the past few days, and and it's been working for about a year, and that is that Disney bought 21st Century Fox, and it makes Disney, I believe, the largest media company in the world now. So other than Fox News, Fox Sports and Broadcast Businesses, Fox News Channel, Fox Business Network, the Fox Broadcasting Company, and Fox Sports and television stations, Disney bought it all. So think about this. Family Guy, American Dad. King of the Hill and Bob's Burgers are now all Disney properties. I wonder how Walt, <laughs> looking at the artwork of Family Guy, the animation style, the language, the presentation, The Simpsons is now a Disney property. Think about that. Alien and Predator are now a Disney property. X-Files, American Horror Story, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Then they got all the Christmas properties, too. Home Alone, Miracle on 34th Street, The Sound of Music. So Disney has really taken almost all of the entertainment assets, other than sports and news, from Fox to become a huge, huge entity. And I'm going to guess we're going to see a lot of that content move to Disney pay-per-view distribution. And a lot of the content that we used to see for free, we're going to start paying for. And, And that's what happens when consolidation happens. And consolidation is happening everywhere in the country, if you think about it. About the only industry that hasn't been consolidated in America yet is dry cleaners. I mean, bars are becoming national brands. Restaurants are all national brands. Years ago, speedy print stores were independent. They're all national brands. So, you know, the fact is the media companies are consolidating just like a bunch of other businesses. And, you know, that is uh, the future of business. And big does matter. So when you own the distribution platforms, you own the content, you own the talent, and you own every aspect of it, uh, 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 you can produce content for a lot less money. The sad part of it is the producers make less money. The talent makes less money. A lot of people make less money as a result of, of, of the depth of control that Disney will have uh, as a result of this merger. So when we think about it, there's a couple of things we talked about here today that, that are always powerful to me, and that is you know, principles of business. 
Think about these household names that failed in the restaurant business and think about something in your neighborhood that has succeeded without any brand at all. And it all comes down to good decision making. It all comes down to having the balls, honestly, to take a chance and believe in yourself. LeBron James certainly believes in his son, that's for darn sure. So LeBron was here in Las Vegas to watch his 13-year-old Bronny Jr. play in a basketball tournament. Unfortunately, the crowds were just so excessive that he had to leave. And, and you know, it's unfortunate that, that celebrity can impact the father's interaction with his son. And that's a little unfortunate. And you know, I would say if, if we see celebrities with their families, leave them alone. You know, give them that personal time. Celebrities typically travel so much. Uh, they're away from their families so often. When they're with their families, I think that's something that we should respect. So I think it's time to talk to one of my favorite people in the world. I love Robert Irvine. Uh, Robert and I are dear friends. We've been friends for a long time. We watch each other's shows. We talk. When we're in the city at the same time, we get together. As a matter of fact, I'm having lunch with him today in his restaurant at the Tropicana here in Las Vegas. And I'm excited about it because I must confess, Robert makes one hell of a burger. And his restaurant is great. So I look forward to going there to see him. I wanted to talk to Robert about things that I know about him as a television host and knowing about his personal life. So I wanted to try to show a different side of who Robert is. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. So I'm sitting here in my podcast studio, and I have one, two, three, four, five computers around me. And boy, have I learned my lesson. Not one of these computers is a consumer-grade processor. They are all business class PCs, and I upgrade just like I do on an airplane. There's a huge difference between a coach seat and a first class seat, and that's the same difference between a consumer-grade processor and a business class PC. Far more support with a business class PC. Far better performance. It doesn't focus on battery. It focuses on performance. Design, forget about it. The design levels to keep proprietary data safe, graphic packages, and your software and security capacity is greater. And, of course, it's more reliable. It just doesn't shut down. So if you're using a consumer-grade PC, I really suggest you upgrade to a good business class PC. And when you do upgrade to that business class PC, there's only one place to do it. Go to hp.com slash taffer, hp.com slash taffer. They've got the answers, and they'll set you up with a business class PC, just like I have, or I wouldn't be talking to you right now. If you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people pay for the same car you want. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new car or a used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. 
Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. Every once in a while, you meet somebody who just really blows you away in just overall impressiveness. Chef Robert Irvine did that for me years ago when we met in an air lounge in an airport. Remember that, Chef? I and, do. <laughs> and since then, we've become friends in all disclosure. But I got to take just a moment and, and just forgive me. I'm going to make you blush, Chef. But but uh, not only does Chef have the Robert Irvine show, you've done worse cooks in America, Restaurant Impossible, Restaurant Express, Dinner Impossible, Bakers versus Fakers, Guys Grocery Games, Food Network Star, Chopped, Best Thing I Ever Ate, Next Iron Chef. I could go on for an hour. <laughs> I'm old. So Robert has done, I think, more television shows than certainly anybody I've ever met and has an incredibly loyal audience. But, Chef, you know, I, I love watching you on television, but your story and who you are and what you do every day, I must say, not only fascinates me, but it's something I strive to emulate. And I just want to tell your story quickly. You're in the Royal Navy, correct? Correct. Where did you learn to be a chef? In the Royal Navy, before or after? Because you were 15 when you went in the Navy, right? Well, my mother was a terrible cook. Um, so I started cooking at home. Then I joined the Navy at a very young age, 15 and a half. I actually entered at 16 years old and learned to cook there. And then when you left the Navy, you came to the States at some point, because I saw you've worked on cruise ships. You know what's interesting about TV, and, and a lot of our fans don't know this, Chef, is when I put chefs on Bar Rescue, and one day I'm going to twist Robert's arm to do it with me. When I put chefs on Bar Rescue, I get the casting reels and the resumes, and nine out of ten of the chefs, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, that are on TV have never run a kitchen. They've never really been working. And that's, and that's scary, right? And we're teaching people on TV about food. Yes, but you are. You've run kitchens. You've run massive kitchens. You've done banquets, events. You've had your own restaurants. You truly are a working chef. And I love that because don't you agree most chefs on TV aren't? Well, it's, it's, you know, here's the thing. When I and I look at you, and thank you for that opening, it's very kind. Somebody that runs bars or somebody that runs kitchens that has the know-how to tell you what you're doing wrong. And when I look at, at TV and I see all these guys that have never run kitchens or hotels, they don't have the, the professionalism or they don't have what I consider the knowledge to be able to teach me something. You know, it's interesting in our business, Chef, other than yourself as a chef, but there's no restaurant management degree out there. So people emulate or say there's something in many cases that they're not, and we don't know it till we lose money on them. You worked at Taj Mahal in Las Vegas, and rather in Atlantic City, right? Yes, for four years I was the executive chef of Trump Taj Mahal. Uh, in, the, in the rough days, 1997, you know, we were doing 5,000 people a day to our coffee shop, and it was absolutely ridiculous. It was one of the toughest jobs. If I tell you the casino was doing $784 million a year in revenue, and in food and beverage, they were doing $15 million, and it didn't even cover the lighting bill. Was, was Mark Edis general manager when you were there? Mark had just passed away in the, in the uh, accident, and the arena was named after him, funnily enough. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that was a, a tragic story. But the Trump Taj Mahal was something larger than life. And I came there from Jamaica after running a hotel, 720-room hotel there. And it was, for me, one of the biggest eye-opening shocks I've ever done. You know, when you, when you come to a place that is so busy, uh, you don't sleep, you don't eat, you just work. <laughs> You've been there before. 
Here's something you don't know about me. You'll get a kick out of, Robert. I ran Grossinger's. I was food and beverage director and resident manager at Grossinger's in the Catskill Mountains and worked for Mark Edis for years. And when I left oh Grossinger's, Mark left Grossinger's, too, and went to run Taj Mahal. And the end of the story is a very sad one because the Trump helicopter crashed on the Garden State Parkway and Mark passed away. And every time I walk past that picture of Mark on the way into the arena, Mark, I can't, uh, Robert, I can't help but tear up. That's a terrible story. Yeah. So, I heard so he was the, an amazing guy, too, which is, which makes it even harder, uh, more difficult because, you know, when you have good people to work for, and you know this, John, um, you give an arm and a leg uh, for those folks. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry I didn't have the opportunity to work with them. Yeah, you know, his brother, Mitchell Edis, runs Mohegan Sun and is still very involved in the business. And and Mark's mom is still alive. I keep in touch with her in, in Boca. So, Chef, Taj Mahal brought you to America then. Was that the first job you had in the U.S.? Yeah, well, actually, it was a cruise ship. I worked on cruise ships first, and then I went to Jamaica after a couple of years on cruise ships. And then I got the opportunity to um, actually, funnily enough, cook for Donald Trump in my interview. And I flew from Jamaica, uh, and my employers, Renaissance Hotels, didn't know that at the time. And I flew there, and, and I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to cook. It's going to be great, and uh, we'll see what happens. Well, I actually got there, and the, and the problem with that is I didn't cook for the whole day. And, and at 5 o'clock in the afternoon when I was leaving at 7 at night, he wanted me to cook. So I missed my flight, but I got off to the job. <laughs> <laughs> Chef, we all know how the president loves his cheeseburgers and even his McDonald's. I've got to ask you, what did you cook for him that day? So it was funny. I was doing a lot of um, stuff I read in a book that I'd never done before. And you know what they say, never do things that you've – done before on a test. Well, <laughs> I did, and it was a ravioli, funnily enough, with a tomato sauce that um, was like a two-minute tomato sauce. It was unbelievable. And then I did fish, and not knowing, you know, me doing my homework, that he was a steak guy. But I, I created this, this whole menu with a dessert, and apparently it worked because uh, they offered me the executive sous chef position. Um, I went back to Jamaica, and I had to make sure I stayed one year there because they paid for my relocation back to the States. So I literally did a year and one day, and then I started literally at the Taj Mahal um, as the executive sous chef. So I said, I said to Rudy Prieto, who was the actual um, I'm not the executive chef. Within a year, I'm out of there. I don't want to be an executive sous chef. I'm going backwards. And true enough, one year to the day of me starting, I became the executive chef, and I stayed at Trump Taj Mahal for four years. What were your dreams then? What were your goals in life then? Did you ever envision being on television or owning the products that you I, I own or doing the, the things that you do? I wanted to be the best Robert Irvine I could be. Um, I didn't really have goals. I just wanted to be top of my game. And, and, you know, as a young guy, even in the military, people would always tell me, oh, you're never going to get to this level. You're never going to get to this level. And, and that, for me, much like you, um, was a red flag. And I would say, you know what, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to work twice as hard as everybody else. And I literally worked 18 hours a day. I lived in the hotel um, for the first four months. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. I did four years there, then went on to uh, break the records. We were doing $8 million a month in food and beverage. I actually broke $83 million in a year from $15 million, um, and had a great life. Wow. Did you like living in, in Atlantic City? Um, 
it wasn't so much the Atlantic City, but I loved the challenge of the, of the you know, it was the biggest thing I've ever run. Um, the big banquets, we were doing 12, 13 million in banquets. After an experience like that, Chef, running a restaurant becomes easy when you're running an operations <laughs> complex. Is that? It was like a walk in the park, don't believe me. <laughs> I want to tell my audience why I love you so much. Not only have I been to your restaurants and I love your food, but that's a separate discussion. I'm looking at a picture right now of Robert Irvine cooking with the U.S. Navy chief in 2012. Right next to it is a picture of you giving culinary advice to the Marines. Next to it is a picture of you weightlifting at an Air Force base. And next to it is you receiving an honorary chief petty officer for the U.S. Navy. Robert, your work for our military is so remarkable to me. You have become a hero and an example to me. You put more of your life into what you do for free than what you get paid for, don't you? Yeah, you know, John, you just give me goosebumps there. I literally just left a Gold Star family reunion with uh, General Thomas, the head of special operations here in Tampa. We spent about 150 days a year uh, traveling with the military. Uh, we, we run food on bases. You know, we have the restaurant in the Pentagon. But there's nothing more fulfilling to me than to to spend time with uh, men and women that were the class of our nation. Um, we do USO tours about seven a year. Um, we just got back off a nine-day trip, world tour with the vice chairman. And at Christmas, my wife and I were with the chairman of Joint Chiefs in Afghanistan, Iraq, Spain, Poland, uh, Korea, Japan. Um it's a big part of my life, and I, and I, I don't know, it's not about medals, and it's not about, um, I don't know, uh, recognition. It's about something that I love to do that is, that is very special to me personally and my team. It's genuine. I've seen you with them. I've seen you at these events. You tear up. You look in their eyes. There's a love and a respect on your face. Robert, it's a powerful thing to watch, I must tell you. I've never seen anyone more passionate about a cause than you are about our military. And it speaks to who you are. And I'd like our listeners to learn something from this. You know, when you were 15 years old and you went in the Royal Navy, you never thought you'd be running food and beverage at a Taj Mahal. You know, we don't have these goals in life, right? Did you ever think you'd be a television star? No, you know, John, I, I never thought I would... You know, my dad was in the Army. My brother was in the Army. I joined the Navy. I never thought... I just wanted to be the best I could be. And there's something about uh, the military that, that drives you to be the best you can be, whatever it is you are. Um, and I think I still have those roots. And I... You know, you talk about me, but I, the thing I admire the most about you is your dedication and your honesty to people, which makes them better. And that reminds me of the military through and through. And that's why I think we are so, not only friends, but we, we are so alike in so many things. And that's why I want to do a show with you. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a feeling when you say that, because I want to do one with you too. So we will figure this out, Chef. So let's promise let's our audiences it. now that the day will come that you and I will be standing next to each other on television. I raise my right hand and promise. <laughs> Robert, uh, what's interesting about your life and my life is we, we have so much in common in that I didn't plan to be you know, a bar guy. I didn't plan to be on television. I didn't plan to be a consultant and have my company. You didn't plan everything that we have in life. There's a lesson here from both of us, I think, and that is that you know, John Lennon said, life is what happened when you make other plans. 
you wake up and attack life with an assertiveness that makes you win the day, and you win each day like I do. And it isn't about a big picture, is it? It's about small bites. Would you agree? It is. It totally is. You know, listen, nobody wakes up and thinks they're going to be, you know, Jeff Bezos or, or, you know, uh, George Clooney. It's the small wins. And, And here's what I find. Every day when I wake up, there are a thousand people that are worse off than me, right? There are a thousand people that are in pain. There are a thousand people that have issues. And I wake up every day and I say, you know what? I'm going to wake up with a great attitude. I'm going to try and help as many people as I can. And those people that don't like it, they're going to hate me anyway. So why should I worry about what they think? Just go out and do it. I'm with you, buddy. When people are worried about their future and, and, and you know, plans and five years out and seven years out, win today, right? Do a great job at today. Because when you do a great job at today, you find opportunities for tomorrow. And here's another thing I believe in. Don't chase money. If you do the right things on them days and you meet the right people because they'll be in there, you'll like If you do the right things, you will find money. It, it just comes. Opportunities come all the time if you do the right things. Chef, I want you to talk for a moment about the Robert Irvine Foundation because this is an example of your commitment to, to, to uh, uh, doing something that's bigger than yourself, if you will. Could you talk yeah. about the foundation oh, and its purpose? So the Robert Irvine Foundation was formed about five, just under five years ago. Um, I was given a lot of money, doing an awful lot with Gary Sinise, uh, TAPS, Transi- Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, um, the USO, Ballast Service Dogs. Um, and I wanted to do more instead of just give money. So I, found, I, I um, created the foundation. And um, in the last four years, or four and a half years with Gary Sinise. Uh, we built almost 84 homes for severely handicapped warriors, smart homes. We do what we call the Invincible Spirit Festivals. We do about seven a year in all the hospitals around the military hospitals around the world. Um, we buy service dogs to be, to be trained for post-traumatic stress as puppies, and then we give them away. Um, we, we fly people to the World War II Museum. We fly them to... Um, Memorial Day Parade in D.C. We grant grants. So basically, the foundation, all the money it takes in from everything we do, from TV shows, from all the food products, from the books, and everything I physically touch and own, uh, a whole percentage goes into that. And we give 100%. That's 100% of that money away at the end of each year to, uh, to great organizations to do great work. I pay for the postage. I pay for the running. Nobody gets salaried. I pay for that. Um, and it's pretty cool. It, it, it's another way of giving back, and um, I just love what we do. And where, where can people donate? How do how do I donate? So you can go onto line. You can say uh, RobertIrvineFoundation.org. Um, and if you go into uh, our food products in, in retail and in Walmart and Costco, the protein bars, the powders, a percentage of all that food that is sold in commissaries and, and exchanges uh, around the world, literally. Uh, goes into that foundation. So uh, it's a great, and you can look at the, we're very transparent. Everything's up on the website. Um, you can see everything that we do. You know, I I love supporting you and your products. You know, Fit Fuel, I think, is, is a great piece of work, Chef. Fit Crunch is a great protein bar. Your knives, all the stuff that you do is really well done. And everybody should 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 take an example 
from Chef Irvine. Because the fact of the matter is he has his time to develop his products, the time to make his TV shows, but he never doesn't have the time to do what's important to him, which is serve our military. Chef, I really want my listeners to support your foundation. So I want to get it going. I'm going to make a $5,000 donation today just to get it going because I want my listeners to know that this is important. Well, I, I'm, I'm gobsmacked, number one. Um, we have just done some amazing things. We just got into the distillery business um, with vodka and gin, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get your, uh, and, and bourbon and scotch, I'm going to get your, your take on that when I'm out there. But I've also just started a new coffee program where we're um, getting into uh, almost Starbucks-style things, where we're hiring veterans, training them, paying for it and giving them the business so they have a, a, an income stream and uh, we just started that. It, it, again, it's just something very special, John, that uh, when we can touch people's heart and, and you have a huge voice and so, so do I in, in so many ways, um, we need to use that voice like you do and I know you do so often uh, for great folks that need help and that's, and that's why we love each other, believe me. Yeah, it sure is. Chef, are you in Vegas right now? I'm in Vegas on the 28th. Next week is my one-year anniversary of the public house. Well, then I'll see you there. I have a military project I want to talk to you about, too, that I think is really powerful, oh. that we can put a few more vets in and business. I, and together. I'm in. I'm in. Anything military, I'm in, period. So I want my listeners to know that, that Robert Irvine is genuinely a good guy. I got a closing question to ask you. How did you overcome your greatest business challenge? When did when did somebody throw a curveball at you, a brick wall at you? And how do you over, um, overcome those moments when you're not as positive yeah. and when things are knocking you down? Where do you go to fix it? You know what I do, and this is the truth, and I've had a lot of that. We've had a, a tremendous amount of growth. Um, I did a deal. I lost a lot of money uh, because it uh, wasn't due diligence done on, on my part and my lawyer's part. And I learned a lesson. Do you know where I retreated to? I went and did a, a, uh, a USO tour for nine days. It wasn't a recent one. It was a couple of years ago. And I came back. And I'm like, you know what? It was $250,000, just so you know. That was the number. And I put my head down. I went and I saw all these guys. I was cooking. I was working out. I was visiting planes and trains and automobiles and ships. And I came back and I said to my wife, Gail, I said, you know what? I made a mistake. I'll learn from the mistake. But that's not what life is. And that's and that, and I tend to result or, or retreat if, if I'm I need a thought process or I, I need some clarity. I go back into my military and my and my foundation and, and that's where I find the solace of, of what we do. And I worry um about nothing to do with me, but I worry about the people that need and I'll tell you a quick story, but I was doing an event, and there was an F-18 pilot. He was 24 years old, a Top Gun pilot, on his way to work. Um, a police car overtook him, chasing a villain. Um, another police car ended up crashing into this pilot. He was paralyzed from the neck down. At 24 years old, top of his, of, of his life. And I looked at him and talked to him, and he had the most amazing attitude. And he said, Robert, you know what? You met my dog, and he showed me a picture of his dog on his iPad. <laughs> and it was at a Gary Sinise event that I did a couple of years before, before he actually got the dog. And I said, you know what? That's what I need to be. I need to have that attitude every day. And that's where I go when I need uh, uplifting.
That's powerful. Yeah, very. For me, it, it, it but, puts the world into perspective. It does, but it's not only powerful for him. It's powerful for his family, for his kids, all the people yeah. that love him, everybody around him. The sphere of impact is yeah. is much more powerful than one individual. We're changing more than one life, Chef, and, and you're the catalyst for it. By the way, that event you were talking about was at the National Restaurant Association a couple of years ago. We gave a speech together, and I have a great picture of us. And You know what picture I'm talking about, don't you? I think we got in that fight on stage. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to post that picture online in a few minutes. I actually have a picture of Robert and I simultaneously punching each other in the mouth. <laughs> oh yeah. That was funny. And, 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 the, and the reaction that, of the people was even funnier. I'll post that in a few minutes. Chef it was great to have you. You know, I love you and I look forward to seeing you on the 28th and I'm promising right now we will be on TV together one day. Do we agree on that? Hey, listen, I've been trying, and, and, and you know that because we've had talks with certain people. Um, I'm going to guarantee we will be. There it is. We both made news tonight. Buddy, take care. I'll talk soon, okay? Hey, love you, buddy. Thanks. Robert, before you go, where can people find you? Um, I'm on Twitter. It's at, at Robert Irvine. Instagram is at Chef Irvine. Yeah, that's all we have, I think. And don't forget the Robert Irvine Foundation.org. I just made a donation. And please make a donation. Let's support this. 100% goes direct to our service people who need it so much. I love you, buddy. We'll talk soon. All right, buddy. Thank you. You know, Robert is the real deal. And uh, he's never home. I mean, he's always working on his next television show. He's with Gary Sinise out helping military. He's working on his energy bars, his drinks, his products. Success doesn't come easy. People don't develop a household name easily. So you got to be in front of thousands of cameras, thousands of writers, thousands of moments. You've got to be out there constantly. And Irvine, to me, is the greatest example of that. This is a guy who works his butt off. And at the end of every week, he helped our soldiers somewhere along with other work that he does. Never does a week go by that Robert doesn't do something for our veterans. And buddy, hats off. I think you're an inspiration to us all. So speaking of inspiration, I need you to be inspired. I need you to hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts, go to podcastone.com, or the Podcast One app, so that you can get your new episodes every Tuesday. Or you're not going to hear me if you don't. So again, subscribe at Apple Podcasts, go to podcastone.com, which is a quick download, or the Podcast One app, and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. And we'll get to spend more time together. And I love to hear from you. So if you want to send me an email, send it to podcast at johntaffer.com, podcast at johntaffer.com. And that's how I find all the audience members to talk to here. So they send me an email to podcast at johntaffer.com. I then look at their requests. We call, we set up a call time, and that's how you get on the show. So get in touch. I love to hear from you. I love your questions. I even love answering them more than I love reading them. So who do we have for our first caller, Casey? Hey, so John, we've got uh, Jeff from Charlotte, North Carolina, who is looking to start a consulting business with his wife and needs some advice. Hey, Jeffrey, you want to get into my business? Are you sure about this, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I do. And I got to say, uh, we're all huge fans. And when I sent I sent one email uh, after listening to your podcast, I heard you on uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's podcast where you guys were talking about uh, your social media napkin. presence. And, and so I searched for you. I found it and just blown away. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time. 
Uh, my pleasure, buddy. So you've been in a restaurant business for years. You're a GM. What are you best at as a general manager? You, are you best at raising revenue, best at managing expenses, best at customer experience? What are you great at? You know, what I feel like I'm great at is the experience uh, for guests and for uh, my team. Uh, I've got a lot of passion for uh, the people and the development, training, uh, and, and getting the most out of people. And that's where I feel like I'm strongest. You know, I've been really privileged to work for some great owners and operators, and they've helped me learn the other things, you know, like uh, managing my numbers, managing my expenses. But for me, uh, I feel like a lot of it starts uh, with the guest experience and top line indicators, you know, top line things like sales, guest experience. I want to focus on those things and the bottom lines will adjust. So I, I agree with you. And, you know, to all business people that are listening, I always love to ask this question when I do seminars and such. And I just did a big one in Reno the other day. And I uh, gave one a a couple months ago to the New York Yankees uh, are giving this very same discussion. And the fact of the matter is that when we consult for people or when we do something, what we do has to be measurable. So when I was young and coming up in the business, uh, Jeffrey, what I learned is somebody taught me how to drive revenue promotions, marketing, gratis programs, frequency programs, spend programs. I learned how to be a revenue monster when I was young. And I could go to a restaurant or a hotel and over a few months I could raise revenue 20 to 30%. And boy, did I get noticed. Other friends of mine were great at shaving labor costs a few points or great at shaving this or shaving that or could make a plate look better. They didn't get noticed. I got promoted and they didn't. And what I found was If we're going to be a consultant or we're going to be a corporate employee or we're going to be a general manager, we have to focus on is what is most impactful. And as a consultant, uh, uh, your client is looking at direct value for the money that they've paid you. The only direct value that I have found as a consultant that is measurable and nails in between the eyes is revenue. If revenue is increased by anything, it, draw, it drives perceived value for the person involved. People who increase revenue perform magic. People who reduce costs are administrators. Yeah. And that, that's the lesson that I want to give you. So you've got to be the master of promotions. You need a book of 50 or 100 of them that you know are going to drive lunch, drive spend, drive traffic, drive dinner, drive happy hour, sell more eggs for breakfast. If you can't impact their revenue then I don't believe you'll be a successful consultant. That's the magic to success in any business. He who drives revenue drives their future. I hope that, that helps. Total sense. No, total sense. Yeah, man, that, that was 100% on point, and I, I really appreciate it. My pleasure, buddy. Good luck. Thank you. And, hey, my daughter Peyton is uh, uh, a big fan as well, so I, I got to say I, I appreciate you taking the time. She was so excited for me to get the chance to – talk to you and we just finished watching the uh, episode that aired on Sunday night uh, uh, from Jacksonville and we watched it together and she just absolutely loves watching watching you and so we appreciate everything you do and thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Uh, hold on buddy, I want you to give your address to Casey my producer and I'm going to send your daughter a shut it down button that she can push <laughs> and I'll scream shut it down in your house all day long for you. <laughs> shut it down! That sounds David. fantastic, she love that. And we're taking a quick break for our sponsor. Man, I love my TV. And Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. Think about this. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand all for free. 
No credit card needed. No sign up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV now for free on all your devices today. What are you waiting for? Lee, are you there? Yeah, hi. <laughs> so, John, Lee has a server friend who is paying for uh, bad checks and people who run out of the restaurant. She's paying out of her own pocket. You know, it's interesting. A, a policy like this, uh, uh, some people say are illegal, some people is not. And it comes down to, to procedure. So, hi, Lee. How are you? Good. How are you? Great. I'm, I'm reading your note here. And I'm reading that you have a friend who has a server's job, and people sneak out. They don't pay their check, and she's held responsible for it. And she's a server, but and a bartender. You know, sometimes she's on the floor, sometimes behind the bar. It's a busy place. Uh, but in either case, if someone leaves a bad card behind and disappears, or disappears without paying, whether it's intentional or not. She's made to pay it out of her own pocket. I, I can't imagine that's legal. It probably isn't, and here's why. The only way that would be legal, and every state is slightly different, and so I reserve the right to say that certain states don't allow this. If you're a bartender for me, Lee, and you have a single cash drawer that nobody else touches but you, so you're ringing up your sales during the evening, you're putting the money in that cash drawer, it's locked when you're not using it. So there is no way in the world anybody else could interfere with your cash. At the end of the night, if you're short, I can hold you responsible. The moment that drawer is open for a second and somebody else could have interfered with the transaction, which means there's any possibility that that wasn't directly caused by you, I can hold them responsible. Now, getting up and walking out of a restaurant is something th th that is not directly responsible to the employee, in my view, because there's too many factors involved. I don't believe that a server can be held responsible uh, 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 for things that are out of their control. And in this case, that drawer was unlocked, if you know what I mean. You agree? Yeah. She's in a tough spot. You know, if she fights yeah. it, her attitude is perceived as bad and it impacts her work environment. If she doesn't fight it, she can get screwed out of a few hundred dollars here and there. So that's a bad right. place, and, and people shouldn't work for bad businesses. The greatest defense is to go find a better job and work for somebody who has more integrity. I, I agree. Thank you so much. Good luck, Lee. Don't forget, Thanks. Sunday night, Bar Rescue, new episode. Oh, absolutely. John, Jake is in Canada and wants to know how come we've never seen a Bar Rescue over in Canada. Hi, Jake. Topper, how's it going, buddy? I'm great, man. Nice to talk to you. Well, you know, it's interesting. As a consultant, I've worked all over Canada. I've worked in Nova Scotia. I've worked in Calgary. I've worked in Toronto. I did a whole bunch of the underground in Toronto. I've worked in Vancouver. I've even been up in the mud in Prince George and had a nightclub up there years ago. But, you know, Bar Rescue hasn't come up there yet, and we've talked about it. Maybe this year we'll make it happen. I'd love to. You know, uh, uh, Canadian liquor laws, Jake, you know this, and liquor licenses are very different in America. So, so you know, to be able to show that and function within that would uh, uh, really be a lot of fun for me. So we're talking about it, and I hope it happens, buddy. But I got to tell you something. You might be one of my favorite fans ever, and I'm going to tell you why. I've done 169 episodes of Bar Rescue. My favorite line of any bar rescue ever was a subtle line that I put in the Tiki Bar episode when I looked at Frank and said, Frank, what I actually said to him was, let's be Frank, Frank. 
in, oh, I love in, that. In, the, in the four to five years since that episode is aired, Jake, nobody, I've done contests for quotes, whose favorite quote, nobody ever mentions that quote. And it's bothered me because it was my favorite of all episodes ever until Jake Brennan called me. So Jake, <laughs> Thanks, man. I love that. That's off to you. You're getting a shut it down button, buddy. <laughs> for, for highlighting that. And I agree with you. I thought that was a really funny line at the time. Jake, I'm going to be frank with you, buddy. This was a fun call. Take care. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Have a good one. So today we talked about failed celebrity restaurants. We got a great conversation with Robert Irvine. We got to have great call-ins about business situations that people have. And every topic that we talked about and every person we talked to today all had a common theme. And that common theme was working hard, trying to get ahead, not just working in your life, but working on your life. And if you do that, you'll do something this week better than you did last week. So think about it. What's that going to be? Find that one thing that you know you should have done that you didn't, that you could have done that you didn't, and that you want to do that you didn't. And no excuses. Do it. And then the second you figure out what it is, I want you to hit subscribe at Apple Podcast. Go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app, and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. And you want to send me a note telling me what you did that's different, that maybe is changing your life, and we can talk about it here on the podcast? I'd love to hear from you. So email me at podcast at johntaffer.com. Podcast at johntaffer.com. I love being here. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on podcastone.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. 